Well, this week on Reliving the Extreme, we are reviewing the episode of ECW from January the 17th, 1995. Nate and your host, here with you, along with my brother Aaron. Hello. Howdy. And, of course, Mr. Chad Austin. Rock. <laughs> Mr. Chad Rock. And, uh, yeah, like I said this week, going back to January of 95, um, we'll get into it. I didn't hate this episode this week, but we'll get into it in detail momentarily. Um, anything you guys want to uh, address before we we start with a little bit of Chad's Wikipedia? It's probably better than this show. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the fuck you were, what the hell you were watching, but I got about four lines of notes and two I, of the lines of me writing the date. I always take too many copious amounts of notes, just in case, just so we have details in case we can't get that mileage. Out of the episode that we always say we're not going to get, but we do get anyway. Um, but yeah, before we get into this episode, I'm interested in this, actually, this little paragraph of Chad's Wikipedia. There's some names and stuff here that popped out at me that I'm kind of interested in. So we went through all the stuff with Earl the Pearl and the Holy Rollers and all that jazz in MCW. Um after that, Chad appeared at at, at Combo Combo Combo. Yeah, that's it. At Combat Zone Wrestling's Tournament of Death Five in Smyrna, Delaware, where he wrestled Kylie Pierce in an intergender match. Chad lost the match after Pierce hit him with a light tube. Any memories of that, Chad? Oh yes. Oh yes. I, matter of fact, I was watching today. I don't know how I how I rabbit hold it, but I somehow clicked on something that it must have had something to do with like Moxley or something like that, and then it went to like some of his matches, and I didn't even know I was on that many shows with this guy. You know what I mean? I you know because I mean I didn't know anybody there. Right. I mean I knew Ruckus, and Ruckus had his own thing going on. Like, so once I got back, once we got there. He went and did his own thing, and then I was kind of stuck by myself. And at that particular show, if I'm not mistaken, that's the show where I took the AIDS in as my weapon of choice. I put um, I took a jar and I took some white tape and I wrote across. I wrote, I put a little tape across the front of it and I wrote AIDS on it. And I I poured beer into the, into the jar because it was fans bring the weapons. And I'm like, well, what what better than you, you get you know you you got a guy all bloody, and then you reach down, and you get this little tiny bottle, and it says AIDS on it. And um, I'm carrying it in, and the guy and, and my buddy, mind you, he had a shirt that was a it was a Kiss Killer shirt, and it just said Killers on the front of it. And he spent like eight hours taking thumbtacks, outlining the word Killer. So if he Gave it as a weapon. If somebody gave you a splash, you would have the imprint of killers on on the on your chest or whatever he splashed you at. But unfortunately, it was a guy, a local guy in Baltimore named Blood, the worst guy in the tournament, mind you, who grabbed <laughs> who grabbed it. And my buddy was so pissed. He spent all this money like making this like, great like thing, and 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 then Blood grabs it, and I walk in with this little tiny vial, and it just said AIDS on it. And the, and the guy confiscated it. And I just said, look, it's just beer in this little tiny jar. Oh, and then I, dumped, the, 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 then I even dumped it back out. 
while I was in line and took the beer I was drinking and put some more in there just so you could see that it wasn't, you know, anything that was harmful. And, and, um, so he finally let me in there and I told my buddy, I was like, look, man, you know, look for a little jar that says AIDS <laughs> and then get the guy all bloody. They, they run out and get the AIDS <laughs> and then you can just like douse the guy with the AIDS. And then I'm sitting there in the front row, uh, with, with my, my other friend and, um, he comes running out and he's like, Hey, do you want to do a, uh, do you want to work a match? And I was like, a tournament, a death match, you know, <laughs> no. And he's like, it's against a girl. <laughs> and I was like, well, who's the girl? <laughs> yeah, I still had to know who it was. <laughs> I wasn't just saying yes to anybody, even a girl, midget, child, you know, dwarf, invalid. <laughs> you know, I, I still wanted to know who the fuck they were. Right. And uh, I was like, oh, I know that. I know that girl. She's a Baltimore girl. And I kind of ended up training her. Um, and I mean, have you ever seen the match? No, I have not. Dude, it had, it got more heat than, uh, it, it got more legitimate heat than any other match on the show. Because I did all the spots that, that I you, you shouldn't do like I picked her up for a body slam, and I carried her around the ring. And as I was carrying her around the ring, I was grabbing her ass, like giving her the honk honk gimmick, you know, in the rear end. As I'm, I'm carrying her around from corner to corner, and then like I'm backing her in the corner from a lockup, and then I just squeeze her tits, like how, just all the stupid shit. How do you how, how how do you how do you work differently with a female than you do with a male? And I know that sounds like a stupid question, but I'm not a worker at all, so it's like, well, I'm not going to do the same stuff that I'm going to do with a guy, right? Because eventually, whether it's whether I'm working a good guy or a bad guy, or whether I am a good guy or a bad guy, eventually it's going to come down into a fucking slugfest at some point, and you know realistically i'm not going to be i'm not going to be having a slugfest with some 100 pound girl you know what i mean because mm -hmm. no matter how pitiful i am i can still probably beat up a 100 pound girl kind of thing so i'm just like well i gotta make it look realistic so my my whole thing was you know do you, do you know what a tennessee spot is you know that you ever heard of that i don't think so it's like you lock up and then she arm drags you and then you kind of like shrug it off and be like, oh, that ain't bad. Then you lock up again and then she hip tosses you. And then you kind of go like, oh, this girl thinks she's somebody. And then you lock up again and then she body slams you. So it's essentially Andy Kaufman. Well, yeah. And then and then right, right after she body slams you, you lock back up again and you kind of like cut her off. And then you give her the three same spots she just gave you. Like that's called a Tennessee spot. Because it kills, it kills about three four minutes right by you know you going like wow i didn't know this girl had this in her you know and then you kind of do all that shot all that stuff so we did all that stuff but keep in mind we were still in the tournament death <laughs> so we had to kind of keep it somewhat you know like on the tournament of death side mm -hmm. so i i went i went out of my way and i told i told somebody i don't know who it was maybe it was i don't know if the referee was keener or not I said, go find, 
go find the person that has the smallest light tube in the fucking crowd. The smallest light tube in the crowd. I don't want the big one that's all taped up, like ten of them in a you know, what I mean, in a bundle. Just <laughs> and somebody had like one that like you put in like a small aquarium, like a you know, a five gallon <laughs> aquarium, like some little tiny fluorescent light. So we found it. We found the girl, and while you know the girl slamming me all around, you know, and then I finally put the boots to her, and then dude, it got heat. It got real legitimate heat when I punched her, because like you know, the referee was trying to break it up, and then I just reached around the referee and I just punched the broad, and the crowd was all like, like, like pissed. They're like, you can't do that to a girl. And I was like, oh, this is easier than I thought it was. Like getting heat. You know, she like an attractive girl. No, no, she looked like my fucking my my fungicided toenail. <laughs> and, and and there I was, I'm, I'm like stomping her and I'm kicking her and I'm punching her. And I'm doing all this shit. And the people are getting more they're getting like more pissed than like, if I, you know, if we were having like a death match kind of thing, because I was just like just beating the shit out of her. And I, I gave her like a, a meager little comeback where she bumped me and I told her, I was just said, run out there and grab that little tiny light ball from that little girl in the front row. And she ran out there and I, it took me like two and a half minutes to stand up. You know what I mean? As I'm looking around, like, where the hell am I? And then I turn around and she's got it like hanging in the air and the crowd can see that could barely see this little tiny ass light bulb. <laughs> and then she just whacks me in the head and I played dead, like laid there. And, um, I remember when it was over, I put my hand on my head and I just saw a little bit of blood, you know, a little, you know, a little bit of blood. Mm -hmm. And then at that point I got up and I just started running back to the dressing room, <laughs> like the first aid. <laughs> I'm yelling, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. And which, I'm is great, which is great. Cause you're in a tournament of death. That's fantastic. Uh, oh no, it got even better. <laughs> like I'm running back in the back and we had like, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this couple, but, it was like this couple that were like from England that were like going to like medical school and they were like in their late forties and they would just volunteer to like, to stitch everybody up. Cause it was like practice for them and they didn't give a shit. And I, I, I run back there and I'm, I'm yelling and I'm screaming, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. And they grab me and they take me to the first aid tent and I'm sitting there and they're like trying to, they're trying to attend to me, but they really don't know where I'm bleeding from <laughs> because the cuts are so tiny and there's just a little tiny amount of blood. And as, as they're like putting the, the, the pads on my head, all of a sudden Necro Butcher just finishes his match and he comes back to the locker room. He's got they, like, I was just going to say, he's got a, a dollar bill and a bass stapled to him or some yes, shit. Yes. Yeah, he's got like a flatbread pizza stapled to his forehead, <laughs> and he comes back to the locker room. They they rush him to first aid. He sits right next to me, and they look at me and they stop tending to me. And they, I go, "What are you guys doing?" He go, "You're not bleeding." They look at him. They go, "He's bleeding. He's he's like blood shooting out of, out of his ears, out of his eyes. He's farting blood. You know what I mean?" <laughs> Um, it, it was, just, I just, they were just like, get out of here. <laughs> like they literally told me like, get out of here. Get out of here, chap. Yeah. And I was just like, I walked out of there going, that was the worst first date ever. That was the worst date. Take a, take a bottle of water and get out of here. Yeah. 
we got necro butcher over here bleeding at everywhere and i'm i'm just there with a little trickle from a little fluorescent light bulb to my head whatever you know our next our next thing here a few months later the slackers teamed with tito santana Ooh. in a six-man tag team match to defeat buck and fat blues security at mcw's tribute to the legends show in dundalk on september 10th and beat Buck Child and Doyle Day at Monster Mash on October 29th. Oh, we were on a roll. We who were the fat guys? <laughs> P-H-A-T, Fat Blues Security. Oh, okay. That was um that guy who was the head of Fat Blues Security, he ended up becoming a member of TQM. That was Kelly Bell. Like he's a he's a local recording artist here in Maryland. He's kind of a big name in Baltimore. Like he does, like it's called Fat Blues. It's kind of like it's kind of like Blues Traveler, mm -hmm. like kind of music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John Popper. It's Fat Blues. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's kind of like that. He wanted to get into wrestling, and then we kind of like um, they didn't know what to do with him, and we figured the best way to hide him was to put him with us because you know we didn't we didn't really do much. Like we didn't do much in the ring, so all you had to do was kind of sell. Mm -hmm. A little bit, and then, um, you know, when the time is right, you, you know, it will give you your, you know, one or two spots that, you know, you're going to be able to do. Because we're, if we're doing like a six man, you know, you're, everybody's only going to get like one or two shines, you know, depending on who you were. Right. You're only going to get like one shine spot, and then there's going to be the heat. And I get, I would say probably, uh, if I had to say, I would guess either I was taking the heat if we were baby faces. Or I was probably leading the heat if we were heels because everybody that was in our group was green. And that's why they were with me to begin with. Because, you know, I could, I could, I was good at that. I was good at hiding, hiding the guys that were green because I'd figure out, I'd go down to school and work out with the guys. So I'd be able to know like what the guy can do, what the guy right. can't do. Like, there's no way I'm letting this guy go out there and, like, take the heat. He, who, who Dino, who we'll, we'll come to see later on, or we'll come to know later on, you know, he's, like, 6'2", like, 250 pounds, you know? Right. Big guy. He's not going out there and just getting bumped around by jerk face and jackpot, whatever their names are, and you know what I mean? <laughs> he's not, he's not, you know what I'm saying? Yes. So we had to figure out like the best role for him, and then the best role for me was obviously was to take in the bumps and um, as a baby face take the heats. I know that uh, I know that going in and out of indie shows and stuff, it's like you probably you cross paths with a lot of people and and sometimes don't have memories of it, or it's just another day on the job. But <clears throat> it says here you teamed with Tito. Did you have much interaction with Tito other than other than you know other than just hey we're teaming tonight and here's the match and everything? Did you get to interact with Tito Santana much at all? Um, basically to the point where I don't even know if that match even really happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, because if it happened, then it was definitely um we got with Tito about five minutes before the match. We worked out all our spots. And then we went with Tito, and and then introduced us. I mean, this is this is well. And I was not to cut you off, but in a match like that, I'm assuming pretty much it's just 
you guys work and then Tito gets the hot tag. You know, he's yeah. I mean, yeah. it was we'll work, we'll work the match, and this is pretty much what we thought and how it was going to go, and how how it was going to go was pretty much the same way. Was we're going to do the match, and then we'll put the match together. We'll go meet Tito about five minutes before the match starts, and we'll let Tito decide what he wants to do and where he wants to put it. And we'll say, hey, we'd rather you be, and to make it sound like a little more, um, a little more uh, sexy to him, we'd be like, all you got to do is sit down in the ring apron until you get the hot tag for the finish. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I assume that's how it goes down in a yeah. situation like that. You just stay outside, and we'll tag you in for the finish. You know, and that way you can come in, you can clean house, Tito. Arriba. Arriba, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and he was like, "Yeah, that's right, that's right." And, and um, I think that's where he was hitting on the girl I was dating at the time. Like he's like twenty years older than us. The- <laughs> he's like, "Look, I got the Tito thing." <laughs> yeah, he, he he wanted to give her the Arriba, <laughs> the flying burrito. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he wanted the vertical you burrito. Sw- you want to swallow this taquita? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Tito was. I mean, I, I worked a whole shitload of shows with Tito, but I never, I never really had the opportunity to like get to know him because all them old shows that we used to work were like Corluzo shows, mm-hmm. and he was basically in and out, you know, because Dennis always had like them bought shows, right? So you know, he was always like just one of the names that they could bring in. Or one of the quote-unquote names that they could bring in. You got your and, Tito Santana, your King Kong Bundy, your Tom Brandy, Tony Atlas. Well, I don't know if Tony Atlas was was in that fucking hierarchy or not. But <laughs> yeah, what you mean you don't lick your man's feet? <laughs> I ain't never gonna forget that, dude. I ain't never gonna forget that. <laughs> Him, him, him seriously having a conversation with my at the time girlfriend about what you mean you don't lick a man's feet <laughs> and, and she's looking at him like what the fuck and I, I, cause I at that point I didn't know anything about his foot <laughs> yeah she's feet. like why the fuck is the guy from Green Mile asking me settle the fuck down Michael Clark Duncan <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I mean, I didn't know anything about this whole foot nonsense that that he had going on, and and I just remember we're just there, and he's just talking about my my feet and her feet, and and then I'm just like, what the fuck is up with this guy? You know, I was like, hey, Renee, like, how about you go back outside and sit down? Because I don't, I don't know if I want you in here. Like, don't make yourself comfortable because that would include taking off your shoes, and. Who knows what's going to happen if that happens? Nate, you need to learn how to isolate sound bits and put them on a board, like a soundboard. So when it gets like a lull in the show, you can just be like, shit, like, what you mean you don't lick your man's feet? (laughs) 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 It's like that type of shit. (laughs) On November. That's some Tony Atlas shit there. (laughs) <laughs> on November 11th, the Slackers lost to Bruiser and Genesis in a four-way dance against, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, I think, Rehoboth Beach Crew and Rehoboth. Fat Blue Security. Rehoboth, that's Re- okay. That's Rehoboth. 
that was a bunch of guys. Rehoboth guys were, um, uh, oh my god, they were like, they were like anointed guys. They were like, um, the one guy, he was, well, they both were under some sort of a early, early developmental deal. Like when that shit first started, mm-hmm. and it was the guy, the one guy's name was Zach, and the other guy's name was Tyler. And the gimmick was they were a couple of like frat boys. You know what I mean? Right. Like that kind of fucking stupid gimmick. And, um, and we used to love working them because we could beat the crap out of them and they didn't know any different. They, they just didn't know because they were green as, they were green as grass and they didn't know anything. So we just beat the crap out of them. <laughs> and, um, and the one guy turns out the one guy was sleeping with the, with, the promoter's wife or girlfriend at the time and the promoter found out about it but didn't tell him that he knew about it so what he would do was he would book him against the guys that would fuck him up like beat his ass (laughs) and we got we got necro butcher coming in yeah like it wasn't like necro butcher but it was guys like um I'm just trying to think. I can't off the top of my head, like who were like who are them guys, like, but you know what I mean? Like guys that were a little more stiffer, like barbarian. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, guys like that that imagine him too. He's like, tonight you get to go out there against the barbarian, like trying to put it over to the kid. Like <laughs> Yeah, no one damn well bar or Haku. Jesus. Like we 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 would bring Haku in, we would bring Haku in a couple times a year if somebody owed us money. Especially the promoter guy. Like, the promoter guy thought that because he was the one spending the money to bring all these guys in, he was wondering why he wasn't the guy who was going to work them. Like, how come I'm not working them? Like, I'm the one spending the money to bring them in. So he's like, so we were like, you want to work with Haku? (laughs) And and he was like, yeah. So we told, I mean, mean, we didn't didn't set him up. Like, it's, it's not like we, you know. We told Haku to go out there and beat the guy up or anything like that. We just we just told him we're like, hey, you, you're you're working with Tim tonight, in the main. Um, it's probably going to be a tag match, and and this is basically what we want. What we want, like Tim's going to be a heel, so you're going to go over. So you know what I mean. You booked the match, and he said something. Something happened where a spot came up. Where uh, Haku was supposed to like bump Tim, and Tim was supposed to get caught up in the ropes, right? You know how you get your arms tangled up mm-hmm. in the ropes. <laughs> I'll never forget this as long as I live, man. Um, while Tim's tied up in the ropes, Haku takes like two or three steps to the side, and he set himself up for a fucking sidekick, like a like a super kick kind of thing. And you got to keep in mind, Tim's arms are tied in the ropes. There's no he protection. Can't even put him up. There's no protecting his face. <laughs> he just fucking kicked him fl- flush, like foot, like right across the face, knocked him out. Like while he was in the ropes, knocks him out. Tim comes around, like you know, a couple seconds afterwards. Ha- Haku leaves the ring. A, c- a couple of the goofs went out there and got uh, Tim, brought him back, and all Tim was going like, 
oh my god, boss! <laughs> what the, like, what the hell happened out there? And we're like, oh. Haku's foot. That's what yeah. happened. Because that's the way he would talk. Everybody was okay, boss. Okay, boss. What do you want to do, boss? And he comes back and he's like, oh my god, boss! What the hell happened? We're like, dude, you want to work him? Like, you know, well, you're you're the one paying the three hundred twenty five dollars to bring him in. You wanted to work him. How'd it feel? Do, do you want to go back? Do, do, do you want to go back to work and to work in Studley Osborne some more, or you want to work hot cool or in the big name? Tony Atlas was like, your breast smells good. <laughs> oh, Tony Atlas would love working hot cool. As a matter of fact, Tony Atlas would say, "How about you tie my arms in the ropes?" <laughs> And then you put your feet in my face. <laughs> as hard as you want. Yeah. Oh man, that's the best you got. <laughs> he's like, he's like egging Haku on, daring him. Yeah, I smell, I smell better feet than Parsippany. <laughs> uh, when I used to work for the Savoldis, they had better smelling bad feet. <laughs> you ever smell that Angelo Savoldi's feet? <laughs> Matter of fact, you know who has, you know how I have good some good smelly feet, curly mo. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine just what's going on at Tony Alice's house. I bet he's still looking for that phone bill. Oh no, um, what was he looking for on that MTV special when he found it? And he goes, "Oh, that's a bill." You know what I'm talking I don't, about? I don't, yeah, I don't remember. It was like the it was the. MTV, like, I want to be a wrestler show. I remember the thing, but I don't remember the bill that he was looking for. Yeah, he no, he wasn't even looking for a bill. He was looking for something. Like a piece of paper. It must have been, like, the booking or something. The booking sheet. And he, and he's pulling his paper and he goes, oh, that's not a, oh, that's a bill. <laughs> and you're like, he's not paying that. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he he has he has to walk down to the to the corner store to pay for his minutes for his cell phone. He's he doesn't have a recurring you know cell phone bill. <laughs> that, that that's not happening. He's he's doing interviews like this, but all of a sudden he has to walk down to the Seven Eleven to get minutes while he's on a conference call. <laughs> Last sentence here at MCW's Holiday Homecoming. Tony oh, yeah, Atlas has a cricket. Had a cricket. <laughs> he had a cricket, and then he had to go get a boost, and then he had to go get a mint mobile. Now he's got one of them. Now he's got one of them jitterbugs. Right, jitterbug numbers. Yeah, it's got the big numbers on it. He's dialing the numbers with his toes. Oh man, what you mean your man can't dial a phone with his toes? <laughs> <laughs> At MCW's Holiday Homecoming, Chad and Divine lost to the Ghetto Mafia in a grudge match at Michael's 8th Avenue in Glen Burnie on December 28, 2006. Jesus. Any, any idea who the Ghetto Mafia was? Hell yeah, man. Me and Dino worked Ghetto Mafia. Jesus. We worked them We worked them dozens and dozens of times. That's two open sideswipe. Um, like, uh... Uh, two dope was our buddy Tim Timmy like he was kind of the worker of the group and sideswipe was he was a big big dude like a big jacked up guy like non-gas just a big guy mm-hmm. but he um he had spent some time 
you know, he had done some big boss mans. He he was in hard times for a while, and he came back. He came out of jail, and I guess he didn't learn much from what put him in jail, because he was still fucking going back to his old ways. We, we'd be like in the middle of a tag team match, and he would just walk out and, and go in the back and sell drugs to somebody, and then come back out to the match, like get back on the apron. Like he would just lead the match. <laughs> like, like he'd be on the apron. We'd be putting heat on two dope, and we, we were thinking, like, where's he going? Like, is he going to like go get like Bundy or somebody to come out and like help him or something? And later on, we were like, where's he going? He goes, oh, I had to, I had to see somebody. He's like, getting he was he was getting his other payoff for the evening. He was getting the real I payoff for money tonight. Yeah, he was great. We would go to the bar afterwards. Um, cause a lot of times we had this like shitty ass, uh, if it wasn't Maryland, it would be like a wet, one of them West Virginia companies, independent outlaw shows. And, um, mm-hmm. and like right down the street from the building was this nightclub and he would pull out this, like it, it would have been like five, six inches thick of a wad of money that it was like wadded up and. And he would just tell the fucking the, the girl that had the shots in the trays, like just keep them coming. Like he was buying like trays of shots for the boys. And you know, she's walking around and nonstop just, you know, delivering like all the they're probably just bullshit shots, you know what I mean? Probably not even alcohol in them. Right. Cause we were all just drinking and carrying on anyway, just drinking so much. She could have gave us just some, you know, mixer mm-hmm. and said it was a shot. We would have never known a difference. But he would he would break out like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a round is what he would spend. Because I guess he had to he had to burn his money. I don't know how drug dealer how drug dealers work, but I, I was always under under the impression that, you know, you try to make a lot of money and save it for later on kind of thing. But I guess I guess sometimes when you're a drug dealer, you have to kind of burn money. It might, yeah, it might it might have a, it might have something on it that you don't want to get detected at some point. Yeah, that's why I'm not a fucking drug dealer or a thief or a crook. I don't know how to do it properly. Yeah, oh, I know. I, oh, I'd be in jail in seven minutes. Oh yeah, totally. If I if I, if I stole a fucking pack of certs from Seven Eleven, I'm sorry, officer. What did you do, son? <laughs> he didn't even ask. Yeah, like I, I'd feel so bad if I got if I stole a pack of Tic Tacs from the Seven Eleven that I'd walk back in and turn myself in. Look, I stole this. You guys didn't see me. You were too busy getting that big bite that I walked out on. Okay. I asked you, I asked you to get me that quarter pounder big bite, the one that's been in there since the fucking mid seventies, and um, and you turned your back. I just grabbed it and I rolled out with it, and I just realized I shouldn't steal this. Like I'd be, I'm not a good thief. I think I'd be good at it. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> because you would be good at it. I'd be too good at it. I think. <laughs> well, any more about my Wikipedia at this point? Because now we're getting, now we're getting into some of my, now we're starting to get into the stuff that um, I really, really enjoyed. Like well, because now. Now we're getting into the stuff where um, my career is pretty much the, my 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 mainstream stuff is behind me, and now it's time to have some fun. And yep, that's what, I, what I we're going to leave it on a cliffhanger for this week. 
So we'll go back to it next week. At this point, we're going to go into this ECW show. January the 17th, 1995. And, uh, of course, we saw the debut of Raven last week on the show with an interview segment. And this week, we get a Raven video. And um, as a 90s child, this reminds me of, well, I mean, I mean, I was born in the late 70s. But as a 90s teenager, this reminds me of every grunge video that I saw when I was a teenager on MTV, you know, your Alice in Chains videos, your Soundgarden videos, your Pearl Jam videos. Uh, that's the, obviously that's the gimmick they were going for here. I don't know what the original music was on the video. Come out and play. Well, okay. I didn't know if it was come out and play because the WWE didn't put their version of come out and play over it. So I didn't know if they used a different song. Um, I'm assuming Chad, I would assume that, Scotty's probably just walking around Polly's neighborhood here. Dude, I was I actually just wrote like he was going to 7-Eleven. Like <laughs> he was just he was like we cuz we have a 7-Eleven that's pretty much in walkable distance. Um yeah, we have a 7-Eleven that's not too far from my my house and um and Miss Jessica's youngest daughter, she doesn't um she she doesn't drive and like in, in time past, when she wanted to go out and get stuff, she'd walk to the Seven Eleven, and and if I would have known like then, like what I know now, as she was walking down the street, I play fucking come out and play, <laughs> like as she's like she's hiking it down to the street. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, whoa. But yes, this is a, a kind of introducing us to the, and I, I think it's effective, you know, if you're thinking back to 1995 and you're establishing a grunge character like Raven, um, you know, he's he's angsty, he's brooding, he's just sitting on the on the curb or whatever, and of course he's walking past because you got to have your cliche dead end sign and everything. But if you're establishing this character, I thought this video was effective. Yeah, and it, it didn't cost anything to make. Exactly. He's just he's he's walking down the street with them little fucking baby ankles, <laughs> and uh, he had the smallest chicken legs. Good God! Um, and he had the Doc Martens on, the big ass boots, and and all that stuff. I mean, I could I could beat up Scotty like all all day long. Honestly, that's how that's how like. How, how how I want to say close me and Scotty became that all we would do is just beat each other up all, all the time. <laughs> it was a matter of, if we weren't beating up each other, we were beating up Portland wrestling. <laughs> how bad it was. <laughs> Aaron, any comments on the video here? Like I said, I agree. It's like a frantic video, but it works. And, um, it kind of gave you an insight of what his character is supposed to be. And then I thought his promo at the end was really good. Yes. And I mean, he, you know, of course, topically, he brings up Kurt Cobain because Kurt Cobain had Von Erich himself back in <laughs> April of 94. So he says, you know, Kurt Cobain didn't make it, but blah, blah, blah. He, you know, he's going on about that. So he's making a topical reference and uh, establishing, like I said, a, a grunge character. Um, 
and that's that's pretty much my my view on it. I, I liked it. I I you won't hear me. And I know Chad, you and you and him, you and him were friends, and that's what you said. You you know that it was ball busting was the the relationship. But I, you're not gonna as we go through this podcast, you're not gonna hear me shit on Raven very much because I was a huge Raven mark. Still, well, there's not there's not a whole lot to shit on um, about the Raven character, like what he did, like on on screen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There 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 really wasn't because Raven was very protective of that character. About you know, like I, I heard him. I've heard him before. Like. You know, Ixnay like stories and, and and angles because he was like, "Well, Raven wouldn't do that, right?" Which makes sense. I mean, he spent a lot of time developing this character. He knew he knew what the character was, and and it, it was something at the time. It was something very very innovative for ECW, where we we had a character that actually had a background, and it had like depth, you know. Mm-hmm. And this this might I don't know if this will sound dumb or whatever, but the other thing I do like is that he keeps he keeps bringing up Tommy Dreamer's name, but they didn't come right out of right away and say why he's like come there for Tommy Dreamer. You know what I mean? Like they're letting it kind of they're letting it kind of simmer of like why why what's your problem with Dreamer? Like he didn't come out right away and be like, oh, this is what Tommy Dreamer did to me in the past. Like he's they're letting it just be like. What's this fucking beef with Dreamer? I wonder if they even knew what, what that was going what it was going to be. I, I'd I'd be curious to ask Scotty if if they knew like going into it that the whole thing was going to be that Tommy Dreamer stole Raven's girlfriend at summer camp. You know, like how they pitch that to Paul and how they get Paul to go along with that. Right. Like it almost sounds kind of. WWE ish, you know what I mean? Yeah, like like we have a feud, but we we have the feud, but we don't know how we want to get there, so we'll just play it by ear or whatever. We're gonna make up something that happened like twenty years ago when we were kids. You know, you could have made up anything. A, a, a molestation angle. <laughs> you know, he could have. He, he could. They both could have spent time in Camp Lejude. Raven, yeah, Raven. Where on the doll did Tommy Dreamer touch you? Yeah, they could have. They could have done anything. <laughs> have you ever seen them commercials for if you spent time at Camp Lejeune? Yes, and like all this money back. Yes, and that's where Raven and Dreamer met. <laughs> <laughs> they they were both touched by the same counselor, and I don't mean it like spiritually. <laughs> This would turn Raven into that. Like, the it was, it was the Grand Wizard. The Grand Wizard was a. Uh, he was a. Um, he, he was, was a. He was a camp counselor at Camp Lejeune. Yeah. He came out wearing that headgear. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the, same, it's the same place with the Polly pictures. The ones that Jason speak about. Yeah. That's no, no, great. With the Grand Wizard, <laughs> why? Where the hell is who? Do, who does any of the fucking artwork for the group or anything? Where is a picture of Grand Wizard wearing um, a Camp Lejeune like scout outfit <laughs> with the with the headgear on, with the little patches all over it? He's in a staping bag with Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> all you see is the, the the Grand Wizard's headgear sticking out of the, the end of the sleeping bag because he was so short. <laughs> 
Breakfast is at six, boys. He <laughs> <laughs> wasn't. Um, you sound like uh, that that other manager, that James. No, who's the guy from? Oh, Vandenberg. Yeah, that's what he just sounds like. Uh, my grand wizard wasn't good. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not as good as my Ernie Lad. I apologize. Well, no, I mean everybody does a good Ernie Lad. <laughs> all, all you got to do is not how to speak proper English. <laughs> and you can do it. Like I, I've met people who just been here for a half an hour from Poland to do good early lands. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Television announcer. <laughs> That's why I think I even did that tonight. We were at we were at dinner and I, I something happened and somebody reminded me of Ernie Lad and I was like, Hey Mrs. Beer Tender, can can you come over here and get me another one of them cold proper beverages? <laughs> and, and Jess looked at me like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, it's Ernie Lad. It's the big cat. <laughs> you know? What was it? My feet fill the shoes that I walk in or whatever. My feet cover the ground that I walk in. Yeah. My feet cover the ground that I walk on. Jesus. Ernie Lad. The, fir- <laughs> the first match we have here on the show is Mikey Whipwreck. Whipwreck. Whip- <laughs> Goddamn easy for me to say. Mikey Whipwreck. Against Paul Loria with his manager Jason, and um, this match wasn't bad. Oh no, not at all. Well, they were old friends. They worked a whole shitload of times. Like they, they were like wrestling school buddies. So they weren't. That wasn't the first time they had ever touched. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think where was I, because um. During that period, I, I was never around during any of the Paul Loria stuff. And I don't know whether it was because. Was this when you were in Smoky Mountain? No, because that was the winter time. And I, I went to Smoky Mountain more like in the springtime. But um, but it just seemed to me like from watching the show, like the Mikey and Paul stuff like that, they were the small guys they were using. So maybe I was there. But I just didn't get used because Paul already determined that we already have enough fucking small guys, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like not that I was pissed off or anything, but because I don't even know the reason why I wasn't there. But if I was like at the shows and I didn't get used, that would be probably the reason why I didn't get used is because Mikey was working with Paulie. And what was I going to do? You know, because I don't think I, I, I don't think I started getting pushed yet, like not really pushed yet. Lori is really small. Like he's in shape or whatever, but he looks like a fucking middle schooler. He's smaller than Mikey. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, and Mikey was tiny. Mikey was Mikey was smaller than me. Do you think Lori is 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 Lori is, Well, I guess he is. Like, I was gonna say, is he smaller than Spike Dudley? I think Spike Dudley's taller. Yeah, Lori. Yeah. Lori, his head barely went over the fucking ropes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like legitimately, um, his head just reached the top rope. Like, um, like when he hit the ropes, like his, like right from his nose up was as high as the top rope. So that's how, that's how small he was. Back of his head fucking felt. Like, yeah, like it didn't hurt his head to hit the, hit the ropes. He auditioned for Dink. Who, who, who's to say he didn't? 
I mean, you know, you, do you know that he didn't? <laughs> I, I don't. I assume that he did. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't. Like I said, I don't know where I was at. I don't. But know. No, I, I would. I would say just watching this match, um, like you said, Chad. Obviously, he's going to have a good. The best match he's going to have is going to be with Mikey because they were they were um, training partners and everything. But I would say from watching this match. Because honest to God, I'll be I'll be honest. Anything I've ever seen Paul, from Paul Loria is just his few things in ECW. But watching this match, I would say that his size was probably the only thing that held him back because he was he was really good actually, and he was in shape. Yeah, he was in great shape. And as far as look goes, other than his size, like his face, he has a douchebaggy face. He could have been a good heel, but he was you know five foot one or whatever, and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're right, 100% right. Like, I think that was the only thing that probably set him back as a deterrent. Yeah, because, like, he wasn't – like, he was a good, arrogant heel. And what I think – and and this might be – might be dumb. I don't know. But what I think would have been better for him is if he would have been a manager. Like, like managing, like, 911? Yeah, like, like, like a manager, like like – he's the manager that's going to get his ass beat at the end of the feud. You know what I mean? Like you got to beat this guy to get five minutes with Paul Loria, you know? Yeah. We already had a Jason. I know, but I think he would have been a better Jason, but anything would have been a better Jason. (laughs) Well, I mean, unless unless Paulie had some grand wizard, unless Paul Loria had some grand wizard stories. About about Paul, I don't think that would have worked. Paul, he's like Jesus Christ. How many people were there that night? <laughs> I know we were. In, I know we were at Camp Lejeune and all, <laughs> but for Christ's sake, <laughs> where's my financial compensation? I didn't even I, see you, Loria. <laughs> I thought we were in the woods deep. I didn't know you were deep in the woods. <laughs> Grand Wizard. Now. It, and seriously, there is a really like like you guys said, it's a good match, and there's a cool fucking spot where um um they do like a monkey flip, and then um it, it's like a monkey flip, and then it turns into like a bulldog. It's really good. Like it, it was like a crisp, quick spot, and I really enjoyed it. Is that where where he did a flip bump thing? Yeah, like landed on his feet, and then kind of like bulldog Mikey or something out of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, them two guys had worked, you know, they worked a shit ton of of, uh, spot shows in in their in their proper New York territories, because I'm sure they did ring rentals together, you know, Mm -hmm. and they had a they had a set match, so to speak, you know. Was he the guy? Would he have been one of the guys that Mike was working with when Paul saw him? Like, oh, hundred percent. Wherever, yeah. you, whatever you're going to say, yeah, it was either either Paul saw him after they put the ring up working out, or Mikey just they just asked Mikey if he had if he knew somebody, and he's like, yeah, this guy, because he didn't stick around very long. No, like, yeah. uh, I don't know what happened. I, I think maybe I think it was a um, if, if I remember correctly, it was a it was an issue where he couldn't make like all the towns. He could do like Philly. And maybe some New York spots, but he couldn't make like, you know, the B shows, C shows, any of them other shows. So you really can't drag the program onto the road. Right. 
it would have had to have been just a strictly an in-house, you know, arena. Well, I mean, thing. he was moonlighting his dink, so I understand. Probably, <laughs> yeah, he had probably better pay. Probably like, better I gotta pay get to the Manhattan Center, bitches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Where's yeah. my unicycle? Then he got in his little trike tricycle and rode away. <laughs> Them little fucking Shriners cars. Yeah, those little, he got on his little. He got on his little red rider and pedaled away. Pretty much. Yeah, and never to be seen again. <laughs> well, the uh, the finish comes. Aaron, go ahead with the finish here. Well, I I kind of missed. Well, I know that, like, I wrote down that bulldog spot. And then, if I remember right, um, uh, Mikey gets kind of caught up with Jason. And it, that distracts him. And I, I didn't write down what Paul hits on him. But Paul ends up getting the victory. Yes. Um, actually, Loria hits a bulldog on him after yeah, uh, say it was a bulldog. gets, gets, a, gets a, kicks Mikey in the head. After the match, Mikey hits a plancha on Jason and beats him up outside the ring, which obviously the crowd enjoys. But then Paul Loria attacks Mikey with a chair um, to continue, obviously, this feud because the babyface didn't get the win. So that's where we're going. Mikey and Loria still proceeding with their rivalry here, but again, good match to start the show. Yeah. I didn't have a problem with it. Cause I mean, we, we all, we, we needed, we, at, at that time we needed to have Mikey get some, I guess, um, quality wins, you know, mm -hmm. and him and Paul definitely had a, a backstory that maybe a lot of people in ECW didn't know about, like, you know, me included, like we didn't know that these guys were buddies and, they put the ring up, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we were like, wow, these guys, these guys are pretty decent, man. And, it, you know, they, they did the good, what do I want to say, express lane way to do this story in that Mikey was already feuding with Jason. So then you do the really quick thing where Joey Styles goes, this is Mikey's best friend, Paul Loria, and interviews him. And then Paul turns on Mikey because of Jason. So you got your express lane angle there where there's not a lot of explanation that needs to be done. You know, it's, it's, it's like, like the guy we were talking about earlier, Raven says, there's only seven stories in pro wrestling. And one of them is, this is my best friend. And he turned his back on me. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's, um, he's jealous because he's in the spot that he thinks he should be in. Right. Well, if that's, if that's the spot that you wanted to be in. Then you didn't have big dreams as a wrestler. Like Mikey, just because Mikey's a, a a champion, whatever, he's still getting his ass beat all over the place, <laughs> right? So, yeah. so unless Cactus is there, he's getting his ass beat. Yeah. Like if you're sitting at home and you're bitter because this is a spot you should have, you really didn't have big plans for your career. <laughs> I should be out there going up and down. End of story. But nine one one. I should be on a podcast twenty five years from now talking about the big cat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how come I'm not doing all that? Oh, we should try to find Paul Loria. Good luck. Go, go start picking up some rocks. I'm sure he's underneath one of them. The uh, the next thing on the show is another extreme encyclopedia, and I really like the first one on this one. I, I don't write down the actual descriptions, but I do write down the names. Bad Breeds, Roman name, is Chubbiest. Rottenest. Yeah, nope. I really, I really liked that one. Chubbiest, rottenest. No, nope. you had you had Axel who was in the middle of trying to get himself into some sort of shape. 
And then you had Ian trying to do the exact opposite. Oh, like he was like bizarro, bizarro good shape guy. He's like, well, if you're trying to get yourself in the best shape possible, I'm trying to get myself in the worst shape possible. And that's how that was their dynamic. You know when you get, you know when you get the good deal on the oddly shaped eggs. That's what I want to look like. Yeah, I want to. I want to keep pulling up my tights every time somebody slams me <laughs> off off the top rope. I want to make sure that no matter how how hard that bump was, I my tights look good. Well, their definition is uncouth Brits who would rather fight than than love. Hence their girth. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. I don't either. That's their description. Hence their girth. How does Paul know what's going on over there? What who they they'd rather you know fight than love in their girth. Who, who knows? How does Paul know about their girth? Oof. Yeah, we didn't have a shower in the ECW arena. He was in the so. woods. <laughs> Grand Paul Wizard did, there. Paul did a lot of shit in the woods. You know of that course. they had that stupid show on the network, Camp WWE. We've got a whole another twisted animated series here. Camp Grand Wizard. Oh, dude, I could just see Grand Wizard wearing like the, the brown colored like shorts and shirt. Like they, you know, like they would wear like in a you know a, a, a park ranger suit. And he had like the, all the badges all over the all over the front of the suit. And just, he's wearing he's wearing the just, he's wearing the Grand Wizard hat. It just animated stories that just end with the Grand Wizard raping somebody. <laughs> All you see is Paul Paul's feet sticking out of a small tent. <laughs> this is gonna be extreme. <laughs> and there's a sign on the front of the tent that says, "If this tent's a rocking, don't come a knocking." <laughs> That's how you knew the Grand Wizard's tent <laughs> in, in Hamboom, Pennsylvania. <laughs> we even have a setting. That's great. It's just 15 short stories of how the Grand Wizard <laughs> raped somebody in the woods. <laughs> and 13 of them were Paul. <laughs> it just so happened that he found two other fucking ring boys. Like at the time that he could he could have taken in the woods, but most of the time Paul was already there. He never even had to like tell Paul to beat him there. <laughs> Directed, unfortunately, by Roman Polanski. Yeah, <laughs> I could just see it now. The Grand Wizard's just leave, like he has to he has to get it, like get his money and he has to leave and he's t- he's telling Gorilla or Vince or whatever like where you gotta go. Uh, I gotta go. I gotta go see a man about a dog. <laughs> and then instead of driving out of the building, he he leaves out the back door and walks like into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> because there's Paul in the fetal position, <laughs> laying out there at Camp Lejeune. Uh, Grand Wizard was the original tribal chief, apparently. Yes, the, he was. Uh, the next name here is the Pitbulls. They are described as meanest badasses. And uh, Aaron, did you write the description down for the Pitbulls? Uh, it's just high-strung powerhouses with a knack for brawling, beasts with a lust for blood. It wasn't very right. funny. There you go. Well, that's the Pitbulls. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a. To this day, I, I get, I, I pop huge for the Pitbulls when I see them now. 
like not now, like today, because I would have to go visit them, you know, at, at the cemetery. Well, Gary Wolf's still alive. I don't think so. <laughs> it's like this has been going on since episode two. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Gary Wolf's still alive. You put that guy on the ground <laughs> for like 107 episodes. <laughs> well, that's, I think he's been dead for 107 episodes. You know, you know how Paul is about taping. <laughs> he he tapes so much stuff that the people number one or whatever went on. on t- yeah, on TV, the guy's the champion. He's been dead for seven months. <laughs> His family, his widow is is like uh, telling Paul to please stop. Just... It hurts so much to watch the show. <laughs> yes, and they they, they they put like a belt on him. <laughs> like he's not defending a belt. <laughs> he's not doing much of anything. <laughs> he's resting. Here you're resting. Rest the ultimate rest hold. Um... Yeah. Then we get Joey Styles back on screen as he talks about putting over Chris Benoit and all those that he has injured um, as he is the crippler. Then we roll into a match. Uh, this is the ECW debut of a man from me and Aaron's stomping grounds, Lima, Ohio, Mr. Al Snow against Nishimura. Um, this was a good was, match, too. And the crowd was super into Al. Yeah, that was like um uh I think some of them like some of them old uh clips of uh, like Al and Sabu had just started to kind of surface, you mm-hmm. know, and made their rounds. You know, you've seen them. Yeah, oh yeah, and I, I remember I remember at this time seeing seeing Al come up a lot more like bubble up in the magazines too. You know, he was getting a lot of press at this time. Well, they were look because at that time I'm I'm just trying to look at the the regular landscape of what was going on, and there really wasn't. They weren't. They weren't. They were. Vince was trying to make new stars out of like older people, but he was giving them the crappy gimmicks, and so there wasn't. Nobody was making real like new stars. Right. Yeah. The, the Vince at this point is pushing. We're getting towards the Undertaker versus King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania at this yeah, point. Bastion so. Boogers. Yeah, the, you know the TL Hoppers, the commas, you know, like the stupid, like character characters, and Isaac Yankum. Yeah, and, and, you know, and then like guys like like Al Snow were were getting that name on the independents for having good matches against Sabu, which which was great for like his portfolio, but I'm sure it wasn't great for his bank account because. Just let's be honest. You're not going to pay a lot of money for a guy that that's that's an indie darling, like from the sheets, you know, right? You know, and, and it, with Sabu going to say, "Hey, bring this guy in," you know, you're going to pay me like just say three fifty, four fifty, five hundred bucks. Give him one hundred fifty bucks, and you know, we'll tear the house down, kind of kind of thing. I, I'm not saying that Al got one hundred fifty dollars, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He was he was kind of more or less going to be a favor for Sabu to give him a shot, and like we didn't know when nobody knew that Al was you know as good or as smart or I'm not even sure he's even that good or that smart to tell you the truth. 
I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Al Snow. I'm an Al Snow Mark, so I will say yes, he is. <laughs> I am not. I don't. I haven't no? got. I haven't got it. I never got it, and I never will get it. And I've been around Al before, like in different settings, and I still look at him from a distance and go, I don't fucking get this, man. Like, what the fuck is so good about this guy? <laughs> He's no Osama Nishimura. <laughs> like, I mean, that's uh, we, we got to have Marty Funk on the show for that one. She, she's the one that could give us a, some more insight on Osamu being is that he was sent there by Dory. Like, that was a Dory Funk guy. And he was supposed to be like the next Muda in the United, in the United States. Do you know what happened? Like, what? I think what he did just you? didn't. I think he just, I, I just don't think he wanted it. I, I don't think he, okay. I don't, I mean, because it, I talked to him. I, I still have one of his towels. He gave me one of his towels. It's embroidered. It's a. It's a. It's a jap. It's Japanese material. It's weird how it's made, and it's embroidered Nishimura on it. He gave it to me because I was just like, we. You know, we were job guys basically, and we right. all kind of sat together. And I'm just like, yeah, I've I've seen you before. I've heard of you, and uh, you know, you come. You you came out of Dory Funk School. Like Dory recommended you, and blah blah blah. But. He just didn't have anything that ECW was looking for at that time. Nate, Nate, you remember that shitty um, NWA show we had to watch for the We Can't Wrestle? Yes. Is this the same guy? Yes. Probably. All right. Well, what, what was this? It was um, it was the NWA the NWA Championship tournament from '94 that Candido won. Oh. Uh. The, the, the Corluso show? Yes. Okay. And he was on that. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know. I didn't know he was on that because I mean that must have meant that um whatever relationship they had with Paul E had probably fallen apart. No, if, actually uh this is that was before this. Yeah, because right. there there's uh yeah, because because that that thing that we were talking about that NWA show the the like gangsters are on it and yeah it's 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 a weird show and it's terrible. It was don't like, the gangs don't the gangsters wrestle uh, rock and roll on that one? Yeah. Oh, in the in the Jersey area. Yeah, it was like in Cherry Hill. It was in Cherry Hill. Because oh. we talked to we talked to Archie Mitchell. <laughs> There's the reference to Archie Mitchell this week about Cherry Hill on that show. And what did he say? Because I've wrestled there. It's not a fucking glorious place to be at. No, he said it was a butthole, basically. Yeah, it was. It was um well I don't know. I, I guess I want to say most of the places like in New Jersey were like that. Because <laughs> No, I mean, I mean that as a shoot because they were, they were, they were only like you're only like in a town for like 15 minutes before you were, um, like out of the town. Like you know, like you didn't even know you passed through. You could have passed through three towns and not even know that you were in three different towns. Like that's how small these places are, like in Jersey and stuff. Sounds like where we're from. 
<laughs> yeah, but see, but I mean, are you guys Commonwealth? No. Yeah, like New Jersey was. So they they had they had taxes in some places, tax and no taxes in another place, and then another place would have a different kind of tax, you know, because you enter another another town, another you know township or a Commonsworth or whatever they whatever they call it. And you just never knew what the rules were. Yeah, I've heard I've heard stories like that from my wife because she's from Kentucky and they're a Commonwealth. So yeah, I've heard those Commonwealths are kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, you just never knew like what the rules were. Am I buying cigarettes with money or beads? Like, <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, all I got is this wampum belt. <laughs> Did you say grass, gas, or ass? <laughs> yeah, ass, grass, or beaver pelt. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden, you walk out of their own in New York. <laughs> like somehow, somebody gave you a deed for New York. <laughs> like you know, you give me this twenty five dollars, <laughs> and and, and this, this paper says that you now own New York. You and Tony Atlas. <laughs> the mayors of Manhattan. <laughs> the mayors. <laughs> Paul Loria and Tony Atlas. <laughs> Dude, Tony Al Paul Loria's feet are so small that Tony Atlas can lick both feet with one swipe of his tongue. He's <laughs> like, I've heard this, I've heard this expression swipe right. <laughs> Paul Loria's feet. Could, could you imagine if little Paul Loria took his two little Gerber baby feet <laughs> <laughs> and he put them together and big ass Tony Atlas tongue comes swiping out. <laughs> he he licked the like the, the tread right off the bottom of his foot. Mikey might might not like it, but I do. <laughs> oh my god, that's a that that is a I want to see that. On a, in oh, a like, Paul Laurie's like, I wasn't flat footed, but I am now. Right? Yeah, dude, he licked the arch right out of my foot. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! I get I, I want to see that reanimated in Camp Lejeune. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this match, like I said, is good, and it gets a little stiff at times. Um, good, I, I just wrote good back and forth action throughout the match, and uh, Al Snow wins with a guillotine. Uh, that was pretty impressive. But like I said, I, I know apparently we part ways on it, Chad, but I am an Al Snow mark, so I was happy to see Al on the show. Well, I was happy that Al was getting like getting to work. Mm-hmm. And I know he had been around at that point. Um, he had been around for like 13 years. Yeah, he's he, he's he's in his, what, maybe mid-30s at this point? Easily. He would have easily have been in his mid-30s. And he was just now starting to get that, like that, that uh, I guess prior to YouTube kind of push where mm -hmm. you can get tapes. Yeah, like like when we talk about like like internet like community wrestling, he was like one of the the first like tape trader guys or whatever, you know. Yeah, you got you got that stupid. They had that stupid match with him and Sabu where Funk beat him up, beat up Sabu in the in the parking lot gimmick. Mm -hmm. And then you know it was and him and Al worked like 
if you get like that tape that um what's his name made that goofy ass uh who's that guy who's the mike mike lano oh mike, mike lano or, no bob barnett who was the guy that produced that stupid documentary hardcore overload i think it was barnett yeah where you where he did like the three shows like whatever mm -hmm. a weekend and i was on like two of them <laughs> Like I somehow I, I I somehow made the video because I was on like two of the shows that he was covering, and and I didn't know he was doing any of this. And when I saw that tape, I was like, no shit, hardcore overload, no shit. Where's my money? <laughs> I, I was just happy that that my stuff was good enough that made it made the cut. <laughs> well, up next on the show, we get a promo from the Public Enemy. Of course, as we do every single week. And um, they're doing shout-outs in this promo. They do a shout-out to Sabu and Taz because they're going to be facing them, I think, on the next big show um, for the tag team titles. They give a shout-out to Benoit and Malenko for helping them to uh, injure their opponents. They give a shout-out to Titan Towers and the new generation in the WWF. Why? I don't know. <laughs> they, they do have a funny shout out though, because they say um, we'd like to send a shout out to uh, Shane Douglas for torturing Tully Blanchard and the fans. Like they're knocking that match. Like that was a Polly line. Polly gave him that. Well, I mean, what were you going to do? I mean, not acknowledge the fact that you made a humongous mistake. <laughs> But by bringing it like it, it sounded great on paper, right? We talked about this. It sounded great on paper. Who, what, what wrestling fan in Philadelphia was not going to pop huge to see a Tully Blanchard, right? You know, and 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 look what they did for Arn and Bobby. You know, well, and I was going to say Tully, and Aaron, you can correct me if I'm wrong. He hasn't even been on TV since. No, and I think it's because that match was so fucking terrible, so they just didn't even do it. They just didn't even play it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it's because the business that Paulie wanted to do wasn't going to get done. That's so. Why go further with even, even you know, progressing any sort of a storyline when Tully's not going to do business? You know, he, he he wanted three months, and Paul was like, "No, I want I want you to get beaten like three minutes." Like they had the same, they had the same number. <laughs> Three was the magic number, but it was it was in in terms of minutes or in months. So Tully Tully did a, Tully did the right thing to protect Tully. That's what he did at that time. Why would he, you know think about it that way? Why would he come in and put over and put over a guy you're bringing me in for one show? You know, mm -hmm. what's in it for me? I'm over in Philadelphia, right? Arn and Tully were over. You know, they were and just as over as the Midnights were. As a as a businessman, as a 1099, let me put the let me put it to you this way, Chad, and see what you say. I'm okay. You're Tully Blanchard. You're going to this promotion that I mean, yeah, sure, it's getting some some steam in the sheets and stuff or whatever. But does it really matter? Because you're going to get your money either way, right? So does it really matter whether it's three months or three minutes? 
Um, I mean, well, it's being uh, like st- taking a step back and looking at it from the big picture for for Tully at this point, is he just kind of being a prick? I mean, I don't know because I'm just asking. Well, it's it's kind of hard to say because I'm you know I can look at it from I, I can look at it from Tully's angle mm-hmm. because it's not doing anything for him because especially if he's trying to get back into um, getting some bookings and he wants to do some more work, you know, right. And then he's automatically, as soon as he starts taking independent bookings, he's already doing jobs. Whether, you know, whether or not it's it's the Shane or, you know, just say down the line, he ends up working for Carluzzo and then doing like the bought shows where he wouldn't be doing jobs anyway. But, you know, he didn't want that. I guess he didn't want that stigma of being like, you know, you just pay me whatever I'm asking and I'll just do whatever you want. Right. He mm-hmm. probably was just looking out for his best interest because he was actually trying to get back into the business, and it wasn't that much longer after that before. But he got back into what WCW? I don't think he ever comes back to WCW. Well, he no, he didn't. But he he did. Didn't he do like the um like the the legends thing? Yeah, he did Slambury. You're right. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah but I mean, that, like, that's the difference between um. Arn, like you have to talk about like Arn and Bobby. That's the difference between Arn and Bobby and Tully because Arn and Bobby could be like, yeah, we'll go over there. We'll, we'll do this. We'll put these guys over, but we still have contracts and WCW. You know? Tully's trying yeah. We're, we're still going to the mailbox every two weeks. Yeah. And T- Tully's trying to hustle, you know? Yeah. Tully's trying to get back in. And he, I'm sure he like at that time, at this time, we're talking about what that Jim Crockett nonsense. Oh yeah, I've always said that from for years. Tully Blanchard got one of the biggest fuckings in the history of the business. All right, explain that one because I I could t- I could probably tell you why Tully Blanchard fucked himself more than anybody else fucked. Him. Well, I'm sure. I mean, he did the booger sugar up his nose, but just like the essentially, you know, him and Arn were going to jump back from the WWF to WCW. And a negative drug test in the WWF affected his ability to sign with WCW, essentially. Well, it definitely affected his um, his uh, political bargaining, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, w- what was the story? I mean, we probably both heard it. Like, the numbers were just so way off. Right. When, like, when, T- when Tully was thinking about coming in, the number he had was, like, somewhere, like, around 270 or something like that. And they were talking like 75, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but they were that far off. Right. And it's, it's, it's Jim Hurd's WCW. So, of course, the numbers were off. Yeah. Because he didn't know who was worth a fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, may have been the, he may have been the booker of Deep Dish, but, you know. <laughs> He didn't know fucking shit from Shinola. <laughs> and for, for those of you that don't know, that may not know the stories, this just Jim Hurd character we're talking about was the guy that wanted to rebrand Ric Flair as Spartacus. So there you go. That shows his intelligence. He ended up selling that gimmick to Farouk. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he calls up Vince and is like, look, I'll send over a bunch of pizzas to Titan Towers. And as a peace offering, I'll give you this character. <laughs> you, you can have. You can I'll have. Even, I'll even give you the helmet. 
You can have you can have Farticus. That's that's tremendous. Well, the main event of our show we're discussing here is Bad Breed versus the Pitbulls, and the loser must split as a team. And the first note that I have here, I it wasn't my first note, but the main note that I have here is this match is CTE Central. What the concussion gimmick? Yeah, these guys are are super careless in this match. At least as a viewer, it looked that way to me with each other's health and well-being. Like potatoes everywhere. Potatoes everywhere. Weapons and just the the you know, you got your chair shot and it's directly to the fucking brain. And I mean, I hate to say it as a mark, you know, you watch it and you're like, well, this is, you know, this is hardcore and et cetera, et cetera. But when you really watch the match with hindsight, this wasn't good for anybody. No, I mean, there there's some people you could you can always make the claim that they had good chemistry together and others that don't have good chemistry. But but these guys just didn't have nothing. No, they didn't. And they to, to make up for that, they're just beating the shit out of each other. Or the pit bulls are beating the shit out of the rottens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fucking fat fucks. Yeah, well, I mean, again, yeah, yeah the rottens. This is this has got to be like, cause yeah, this is this is the this is towards the end of the rottens, right? No, this is the end of the rottens. Yeah. Um, but you also got to look at it from the pitbull's point of view. Of <clears throat> we're gonna be a team that's sticking around, like we're gonna stay as a team, and then it's also like, look at us and look at them. Like, are we gonna let these schlubs like you know? But the, and the the craziest thing about the the assertion that you just made, Aaron, is out of the four of these guys, and I'm not saying I don't like the pit bulls. I do, but out of the four of these guys, you know, t- t- taking looks aside, Axel's the best worker. Well, I know that, but I'm just saying, like, I look at it from. And I'm not saying like liberties or whatever is the way to go, but if everybody's willing to do it, go with it. But right. the Pitbulls probably be like, look, we're the team that's that's staying together, so we have to look stronger. And this fucker keeps pulling his pants up, so I'm going to kick him. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing you think of when you take like a belly to belly from the top rope. Is is my flabby ass hanging out? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. Um, I, I was there because I traveled with Axel and Ian. I was there, and everybody but poor Ian knew what was going on. And mm-hmm. and I, I wasn't in the position that I mean, you know, sure I may have had an idea as to what was going on, but I wasn't in the position to go tell Ian, hey, you know what? I think you're getting written off. You and know? according to according to Chad Austin, Ian Rotten's the only one still alive in this match. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and if, that, if, that's, if that's what your idea of being alive is, then that's not saying too much. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> They're going to remove his foot next week for diabetes, but. Oh, well, they are? I don't know. Uh, who knows? He... Fake, fake news. <laughs> because if that was the case, he would do it in a ring. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, 
he'd have he'd have Doctor Mitchell come out there with yeah, a sawzall. It's, it's the foot versus foot match. <laughs> the foot loose match. <laughs> the diabetes on a pole. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's 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 Ian Rotten versus Oscar for Men on a Mission. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Diabetes on a pole match. I could just see Doctor Mitchell coming out there with a with a sawzall. The video, the video of their epic feud is set to Footloose. Because <laughs> you gotta get Footloose. <laughs> you got a guy. You got a guy that sounds like yeah, Wilford Brimley. You got a guy that sounds like Wilford Brimley narrating the video package. And if Paul, if Paulie was would have would have been smart during that time period, while they were sawing off Ian's foot, they would have brought out Crawford and Furnace, like as the real Footloose. It, wasn't that what they worked at in all Japan? Yep. There, there you go. Uh, special Ian. special referee <laughs> Kerry Von Eric. <laughs> There's all kinds of like each box on the end, uh, edge of the turnbuckle has a foot in it, Von and you Eric, had to Kerry, you had Kerry, to find the right foot. Kerry's like, dang. Carries the ref. If it ends in a draw, the scorecard was handled by Mad Dog Vashon. <laughs> Jesus, Zach Gallon. <laughs> that's the that's the kind of guy you want to cut a promo on and just tell him you ain't got a leg to stand on. <laughs> like you're out here making all these big promises and all these big all these big things and all, but you ain't got a leg to stand on. And then you just look at him like, oh shit, I forgot. Somebody books Gowan and they're like, man, we can't pay trans. It's going to cost, cost you an arm and a leg and you can't afford it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, he gets on the plane and the, and the, and the steward is asked if, we, if, if you don't mind, we put these in the overhead. And he says these and they, like he wasn't carrying any suitcases. And they meant his legs. Like when the plane does a, a layover, he has to, somebody, he has to get out and hop down the aisle on his stubs and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and ask somebody, hey, can you get my prosthetics out of there? <laughs> Makes you wonder if anybody's ever told Zach, be like, hey, man, uh, uh, what do you want the finish of the match to be? And he goes, I don't know. I'm stumped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about we just say that uh, this will be like the rubber match and he gets a leg up on me. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we love your sense of humor there. Oh man, a full heat on the road. It's, it's a it's a good thing Elias wasn't there then, because Zach Allen's not walking with Elias. He's hopping with Elias. <laughs> he, he's uh, he's doing like the million handicap march. We we have this thing every year where I live at. We have this bridge that that, that spans. The, our eastern shore to our inlet, so to speak. It's like two and a half miles. And like every year they uh, they open it up, they close one side of it and allow people to go walk from one side to the other. I bet you Zach Gallon would still be doing it. It's <laughs> like, you know, it takes about like two hours to walk it or an hour, like a half to walk it. But yeah, when you got no legs, yeah, it, it would take him a while. Cars are still zooming by him. 
And then, and then people were stopping by the call box, <laughs> and they're like, "Dude, there's a guy like waddling down like the, the Bay Bridge on eastbound. He ain't got no legs. He's got gym shorts and a tank top on. Yeah, he, he's walking on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's super impressive. <laughs> well, I guess. I mean, what else you go? I mean, if you ain't got no legs, you're gonna have to learn how to get around some other way." <laughs> So I guess it is super impressive that you took the time out to learn how to walk on your hands. Like, I got my legs and my arms, both my legs and my arms, and I still don't walk around that much. Well, any any particular notes on this match, guys, before I head into the finish? No, it was a good match. Yeah, it was a wild brawl. It was all right. And like I said, it's it's the hindsight thing when I wrote down the CTE Central thing. But at the time and, and watching it, you know, as a as a fan, it's hardcore. It's it's something different in ninety in early ninety-five. It's crazy. Um Pitbull number one hits a Hurricane Rana off the top on Ian Rotten and wins for his team. So the as the, as the referee was counting three, Ian was he missed the count because he was pulling up his fucking pants. Did he get the shoulder up, or was he just pulling up his sweatpants? Yeah. Ian's um, the only wrestler that pulls his own tights. <laughs> he, he, got, he got disqualified like, from pulling his own tights. Yeah. Fucking prick. <laughs> that's that's some cheap heat there. He, 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 has, he has to get up, and he explains to the ref, you know, when you see the heel, like, doing the motion where he pulls the tights? But then he points to the referee and goes, I did it. <laughs> And the referee has to be like, what do you mean you did it? You didn't pull us. He goes, no, I pulled my own tights. <laughs> do you disqualify somebody for, for self-admittingly to pulling their own tights? <laughs> I can just imagine the referees having quite the dilemma. And ECW yeah. would take about seven minutes. It's the, it's the most, it's the most uh, insanely disputed finish in the history of wrestling. I pulled my own tights. Yeah, because you would have to see him walk over to the to the, like the the ring announcer or or um what the fuck's his name I forgot Rocky Ortiz the bell guy and he's and he's trying to explain what the finish is and and then he has to explain to Bob what what the finish is and due to the fact that Ian Rotten just admitted to pulling his own tights <laughs> like um, uh, the winners of the match I guess the, the pitbulls the bad breed is no more. Yeah. <laughs> Every Ian match ends in a crust finish. Yeah, I mean, and I bet you he still does it to this day. I bet you he still does it to this day. When's the last time have you seen Ian work? Or does he even work anymore? And, and did he ever Taco work? Bell. He worked at Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, he worked a couple of shifts. He ate at Taco Bell. I, I haven't. I haven't talked to Ian. Oh my god, I haven't talked. Did I ever get him on for the show? Nope. He wasn't never on the show? Mm-mm. Oh, I could get Ian. I I can get Ian if you want if you want to get him on the show. Well, don't tell him don't tell him how much we've shit on him. Well, he well, I, I shit on him all the time. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's paid to be shit on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what kind of relationship him and that girl have over there, but yeah, I bet you there's some fucking defecation going on. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's definitely defamation of character. 
Defecation of character. Defecation of character. Defecation of character. Might be the name of this show. He said a Cleveland steamer. I used to um I used to talk to roller. He he met Stanley. He he met Stanley Blackburn and had a Stanley steamer. I used to talk to Ian like once a year. I used to call him. I I had this number for the longest time and and I would just call him like right after New Year's or around Christmas time. And we would just talk. And like I stopped calling him because that shit that was going on with him just got so bad that I didn't want anything to do with him. You know, mm-hmm. like he was getting such a bad name and such a bad reputation around, you know, the independence and stuff that I, did, I didn't want anybody to know that I associated with him. I already went to Mexico and worked for Antonio Pena, and he went he went by Dirty Sanchez. <laughs> that was Dude. his lucha name. Are, are you being serious? Because I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't doubt that. Turd Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, I definitely heard that. <laughs> Well, Joey announces to us on the outro of the show <laughs> that the uh, the bad breed is no more as, as the result of this match. And then we see a scene where Ian Rotten beats up Axel Rotten to end the show and, of course, to end their partnership, which I think is leading us to the uh, the the what the, the glass fist match or whatever. Yeah. Taipei. Yes, the Taipei deal. It was one of the. It was one of those classic, like epic fails. That was a classic epic fail of ECW at Taipei Deathmatch. Did did we ever did we ever discuss this? No, I don't believe we have yet. No. Well, you know the gimmick was you were supposed to tape your your hands up and stick them in hot uh, a wet like water like hot glue, mm-hmm. and then you were supposed to like stick it in broken glass. And who do you think was in charge of getting the broken glass? Yes, me and Donnie and probably Paul Loria. Um, we're outside collecting bottles, <laughs> and we're taking them back into the into the dressing room, and we're smashing them. And the bottles never busted up. Like we didn't have anything to like muddle them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the bottles were all just like broken glass, like particles like pieces of broken glass not like like they should have been shards right yeah it's 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 more a powder than a shard yeah but no we we they stuck their hands in hot glue and they put their hands in like broken glass and it wasn't sugar glass it was bottles that like me and donnie broke out you know in the in the back of the arena and stuff we're sitting back there just banging fucking bottles on the ground and um this is like we came back with a bucket like this is what we got and they put their gloves in there, and none of it's, none of them stuck. <laughs> none of the glasses stuck. And if they did, they were big pieces of glass. And we're like, this is never gonna work. And and that's what you got. But they fucking bled buckets, and that's all they. That's all people needed to see anyway. Right. They could have just had tape fists on, you know, and just bled because that's what they did. That's all it was. And the glass was just an accoutrement. Well, overall, gents, what did we think of this episode of ECW TV? 
Uh, it was all right. It was okay. I mean, it couldn't have been that bad because I didn't like, um, I didn't have like a shit ton of notes, like, you know, either shitting on it or putting it over. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think everything, I don't think we really, we really shit on anything in the, in the show. And I think it shows a positive direction. I can't figure out why I have in my notes. I already asked her, but I, I wrote down the public enemy pissed off Miss Jess. And when I was reading my show notes, I asked her and, and she told me and I forgot it again already. Um, I think it had something to do with her promo. And she was just like, I'm not I'm not believing this. Like, I'm not buying any, any of this. And, and, and she's she's cynical to begin with. She's not a wrestling fan. So, you know what I mean? So she right. wasn't she wasn't buying Public Enemy. It was an okay show. I thought it was I thought it was decent. I mean, you know, it was what it was for that time. And and again, all signs are starting to point in the right direction, in my opinion. Absolutely. And uh, it looks like we lost Aaron, so we don't get his parting words. For that, this that they show. were his parting words. Yeah, his parting words were peace. <laughs> Yeah, but I get, I I agree with Chad. It's all it's all a, a step in the right direction. And and that being said, we're gonna we're gonna sign off here this week for the uh, Reliving the Extreme podcast. Thank you to everybody that's listening, and and don't forget to uh, let your friends know if you're listening. Not even way, your friends. That people you don't even know know. Exactly. The best way to support a podcast is to let people know about it. Yeah, forget and, about forget about giving out candy on Halloween. Go make up some fucking business cards for the Reliving the Extreme podcast and give that out to them, them idiot mouth breathers that are walking around house to house freeloading for candy. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> give, them, give go go get some blank tapes and make copies of some of these shows and give them to them. <laughs> fucking idiots. I get tired. I get tired of walking outside and. And, and my neighbors are like 15, 14, 15, 16 years old. Like they're getting to that age. There's a couple of them that are right around there and they're kind of watching wrestling. And then Miss Jess will tell them, Did you know that, that Mr. Chad, he was a wrestler? And, you know, I walk outside and they start asking me all kinds of questions like, Well, what was John Cena like? I, I don't fucking know what John Cena's like. I don't know. They, go watch the Fast and the Furious 11. I have no idea what John Cena's like. <laughs> oh, by the way, I um I have an audition for a movie coming up. No shit. Yeah. Um. Did you ever see that movie Half Baked? Yes. Well, they're doing a. I don't know if it's a remake, a reboot, or it's part two of it. But they're doing uh open casting calls in Baltimore not too far from my house. And then when I saw where it was at, I think it's in two weeks. And, oh man, uh, you have got to audition for guy on the couch. I mean, I, I don't have any idea. I mean, I, I got my credentials. I got my, uh, my resume of everything I did. I got a tape of all my work, whether it's wrestling and Jerry Springer or some of the videotapes that Miss Jess didn't know about that she was yeah. involved in. You've seen the you've seen you've seen the movie, right? I've seen with the half baked. Yeah, yeah, like in the mid nineties or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The Stephen Wright character, guy on the couch, is my favorite character in that movie. I'll do it. Like as soon as I saw that they had a casting call for it, and I applied for it, and I sent my resume over, 
I got an email and it said, thank you for your, for submitting your email. These are, this is, this is the day. Um, I have to go back, get my email, look at it. But I think it's like, um, November the 15th is when I think they're doing the, the casting calls in Baltimore. I'll, I'll do it. Like I've done a bunch of casting calls, but I, most of them were for reality shows. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that the, I think the reality shows didn't want anybody as real as me on the show. Like that's yeah. just to be that's just to be honest, right? Because I was going to hijack the show. Like there was just no doubt about it. Like if I, you were going to put me on a reality show, I was going to get on that reality show and do whatever the fuck I wanted to do just to get myself over. And you know, you would have ended up having to edit it, you know, edit it out or just get me off the show because I was just going to take it over. And that's what they, a worker that's what a worker does. They bill it as reality, but it's not. Yeah, it's pseudo reality. Pseudo reality. All right, everybody. Well, Chad, good luck on your audition, and I hope you get the part. And so do I. And that being said, we want to thank everybody for joining us this week on the Reliving the Extreme podcast. And we will see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Talio. Talio.